ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. I would say he was one of the favourites in, um, in our family and um, but very cheeky and with that cheekiness he got away with so much. That's the mother of Keith Titmus speaking outside a coronial inquest into her son's death after a Manly Seagulls training session in 2020. It was November and the air temperature on that day was not more than 25 degrees. Mr Titmus was 20 years old when doctors say he suffered a heat-related illness and collapsed at training. He later died in hospital. Many sporting codes are cracking down on concussions and head injuries, but what about these heat-related illnesses? What recommendations might we see implemented after the inquest into the death of Keith Titmus? I'm Poppy Penny and this is ABC Sport Daily. Ethan Ricks is an ABC reporter who's been following the inquest into the death of Manly's Keith Titmus. Ethan, firstly, for people who don't know, what happened to Mr Titmus in 2020? Sure, Poppy. So it was back, obviously, in 2020, the 23rd of November. And what we already knew before this inquest had even started was that he had just completed a around about two-hour pre-season training session with the Manly Sea Eagles. And then he also did another uh, indoor session for about 10 to 15 minutes after that, a high-intensity session at their base in Narrabeen. And after that session, Keith basically collapsed, had a seizure, and then died of a heart attack at a hospital in Sydney a few hours later. The death of Keith Titmus has rocked the NRL community and the Manly Sea Eagles. The 20-year-old died on Monday after falling ill from a training session. He was considered to be a very talented prop who was likely to make his NRL debut next season. Long pass across the park. The final oh! through. The number 19 is over in Keith Titmus. I think he scored the try. But Keith Titmus, he flew through the air like Superman. So throughout this inquest, we've heard from players, we've heard from former coaches at the club, we've heard from paramedics who were first on the scene and a number of experts. I want to start with his teammates. How did they speak about the incident? Yeah, you're right. Over this inquest, we've heard a lot of people who actually took part in this training session and they've given different descriptions of just how hard this training session was. And I need to remind people, this was the very first training session of the preseason period for these players. So a lot of these players are coming off that rest period and they're coming into the first session and get players rating it uh, a nine to even a 10 out of 10 in terms of difficulty. But then you've got other players like Ben Travojevic, who's still with the club saying it was very challenging, strenuous kind of training session, but he still felt like you could go up to the training staff and Des Hasler felt like they're approachable to kind of admit that you've hit your, your breaking point. But then we've also heard from other players who said like, well, you don't tell Des Hasler that you need to stop. The big part of this question throughout this inquest was not whether or not people were actually allowed to say, hey, I can't do this anymore, but whether or not there was that mentality that they could actually go up and, and do that. And that's something that they, a lot of the players were asked throughout this inquest was this thing called the warrior mentality, which is this idea that there's a determination to keep going no matter what and you stick together as a team and the idea is that you don't stop until you drop and ultimately in the end there was differing opinions of uh, how hard this session was but uh, clearly a lot of players thought it was it was quite strenuous especially for the first uh, training of the preseason period. You touch on coach Des Hasler there and he was actually part of this inquest. He gave some evidence. He apologised to the family. Is there any indication from him that he and his coaching team could have put together a slightly less rigorous training session that perhaps they could have made changes? 
That was a big day for the inquest when the former coach of the Manly Seagulls, Des Hasler, fronted and gave evidence of that training session. Like you said, he admitted that it was a challenging session, but he also felt like the players were given that opportunity to recover. And there's a lot of science that goes into training sessions. And he said he had worked with uh, his team to make sure there was enough time for them to recover, but really push themselves and make sure they're putting their best effort in. He was asked whether or not he could change anything about the session, to which he said he didn't really know. He didn't know exactly what he would change about the session. He did admit that obviously knowing the circumstances and knowing that Keith had passed away after that session, that he would have possibly changed something about it to make sure that didn't happen. But specifically what he would change, he doesn't know how to answer that question. And Des Hasler within the NRL has a reputation as being a pretty hard coach. Um, I want to make sure that we're sort of bringing a standard of performance and um but want to win. This man has got a reputation for winning. He's a winner. He's been to five grand finals. He's won two of them. So I want to move on to the medical professionals. Paramedics who were on the scene after Titmus collapsed have spoken about his condition at the time that they got there. What did they have to say about the situation? Yeah, so when paramedics first arrived, at that time, Keith Titmus was inside a place called the dojo, which was part of their indoor training session. So they did like a really high intensity 15 minute training session. After that, more than two hours of outdoor training. And from the players, we've heard that the dojo was quite warm and humid. They said it was no air conditioning. There wasn't really good ventilation inside there as well. So from what we know of the evidence, it was quite hot inside there. And when paramedics arrived, they said Keith Titmus was already on the ground, collapsed and started to have a seizure. They said it was a really chaotic scene, especially with a large player having a seizure inside a really crowded and hot and humid room. They said when they assessed Keith's body temperature, it was at almost 42 degrees Celsius when they arrived. And the technology that these paramedics use to measure someone's internal body temperature actually often underestimates how hot someone's internal body temperature is. So you can just imagine how hot he was and how hot his body was at the time. And initially they said their first priority was to bring his seizure under control because for them, they want to make sure that his airways are not blocked and his breathing is not affected. But obviously we found out later throughout the inquest that Keith had actually died from exertional heat stroke. And a lot of the questions to the first responders were whether or not they knew how to actually address heat-related injuries. And a lot of the questions were based around whether or not they had put ice on Keith or thought about putting ice on Keith in key areas to try and cool him down rather than necessarily focusing on the seizure. Now, there's back and forth about this and paramedics said their main priority when they see someone seizing is to bring that under control and make sure they can continue to breathe. They said it's quite hard to get to a patient who's already seizing to try and apply ice to them just because it's hard to keep it in place. Once it hit that point, they felt like there wasn't a good opportunity to put ice on Keith, which the council assisting the coroner seemed to suggest that would have played a big role in potentially helping him recover, especially considering his internal body temperature was so high. Professor Aaron Coots is an expert in sports medicine and early in the inquest he was quite critical of the practices that Manly undertook in their training. He spoke toward the end of the inquest as well. What did he have to say after hearing the evidence put forward in this inquest? It's worth noting that uh, Professor Coots 
is a distinguished professor. He's a sports scientist from UTS. He's also previously worked with an NRL club, the Parramatta Eels, and has helped formulate their training sessions. And he really delves into the science of not just training, but especially training for rugby league. So he was called to give evidence on the last day of the inquest on Wednesday. And he basically described that session as unnecessary and even illogical considering it was the first uh, session of the preseason training. He also pointed out what he called were red flags for Keith Titmus. He said those red flags showed that Keith was at an increased risk of suffering some sort of heat-related injury. He said before they'd even taken part in that session, obviously a lot of clubs and a lot of NRL clubs put a lot of effort and time into testing and measuring to see how fit their players are and where their bodies are at, especially coming um, into a new season. They did uh, a yo-yo test with all the players, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners know what a yo-yo test is, and they had to do that at school. It just measures how fit you are. You run back and forth and try to get there before the buzzer as it uh, reduces in time. And the Manly Seagulls club had results that Keith Titmus had scored the lowest out of all of his teammates. Coots talked about the fact that he had put on more than four kilograms of weight in the off season as well. Professor Coots basically said that because of those red flags that the club should have noted that Keith was potentially at risk of suffering a heat-related injury. The other group of people that spoke yesterday was Mr Titmus's family and they spoke about being pleased to see the NRL taking this seriously in the hope that this incident might protect other players. There'll be recommendations from this inquest and the NRL have started to make changes. Do you think we will see sporting codes actually look at heat-related illness and take it as seriously as perhaps they're taking concussion and head injuries? That's the key question isn't it? And that's the key question for the coroner who's heard all this evidence over a week long period. And of course, some more evidence still needs to be brought forward to him. It's the ultimate question is what recommendations is he going to put in place, not just for rugby league, but potentially all sporting codes and how they look at heat training in hot conditions and the pressure that we put these players under to really push their bodies beyond the limits. Like you said, the NRL has already made some changes after Keith Titmus's death. We all need to learn from this inquest and whatever learnings going for the NRL need to take that up in other sports. Player welfare um, and player safety is at the forefront of everything we need to do and we need to put whatever's in place to avoid this ever happening again. The family have welcomed those changes. We'd love to hear that the NRL aims to prioritise heat-related injuries with the same level of importance as its spinal, cardiac and concussion policies. There's a long way to go, it seems like, in terms of changing that mentality, that warrior mentality. I'm sure a lot of people have played sport and, and you get to that point where the training just gets harder and harder and you push your body as hard as you can. And there is that feeling that maybe you can't stop because you don't want to you don't want to let your teammates down or even your coaching staff down. So it seems like there's going to be a long way to go to actually change that mentality. Professor Coots also recommended a lot of easy to implement recommendations, which is just around education, teaching people this can happen and people can die from heat-related injuries. It's something that he said is significantly underestimated. Another idea is acclimatization. So taking that steps to build up to more high intense training and really looking at the data that we have around players to make sure that they can do certain training sessions and not just the mentality of 
one size fits all. But in terms of changing people's ideas around just going as hard as you can, especially in Australia where we just see these staggeringly hot conditions sometimes and see people playing sport in like sweltering days, where is that going to go forward? Are we going to just say, well, we can't play at a certain temperature anymore? It's a really hard question, especially with sport is such a significant part of Australian culture, but also part of a country that is really experiencing some hot and humid conditions and they only seem to get hotter as well. Keith loved footy. He loved Manly. I asked him, you know, do you want to go to another club next year? And he was like, nah, he loves the boys too much, you know. But yeah, that was Keith. Um, <clears throat> my little brother, I, I kind of looked up to him as, a, as an older brother. He's um, my inspiration, my idol, such a, um, such a blessing on our lives. And, um, and I, you know, I hope he rests easy. If the science is anything to go by, we're not going to see things cool down anytime quickly. Ethan Ricks, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks, Pop. Headlines. The Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl victory parade has ended in tragedy with a shooting outside Union Station in Kansas City. Police have confirmed one person's been killed and at least 22 injured, including 11 minors. Three people are in custody. Not only the, the victims who were actually hit by gunfire, but there are a lot more people who are going to be forever impacted by, by what happened here today. Super Rugby and the financial situation at the Melbourne Rebels is really starting to bite, with administrators PwC telling all staff they were losing their jobs, with some to be hired back by Rugby Australia. Five positions, though, will not be hired back, including the role of CEO. The Rebels play their first game next Friday against the Brumbies, and RA insist they will be fielding a team. Swimming and more good news at the World Aquatics Championships with Sam Williamson winning Australia's first gold medal in the pool, setting an Australian record in the 50 metres backstroke while he's at it. It was one of four medals Australia won overnight, with Elijah Winnington taking silver in the 800 metres freestyle, Brianna Throssell winning bronze in the 200 metres freestyle, and then the mixed 100 metre relay team also won silver. And Sophie Harding has been brought into the Matilda squad for their Olympic qualifiers against Uzbekistan with the withdrawal of Courtney Vine for personal personal reasons. I'm Poppy Penny and this is ABC Sport Daily, produced by Jason Ford. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.